Now since Revelation 5 begins to address, to set up the appearing of the Lamb by the address that says, Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David has overcome and He is worthy to take the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sits upon the throne and to open it. So the descriptor of the Lion of the tribe of Judah and of the Root of David who has seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God and seven horns, we haven't unpacked quite what that means yet. The reference there that defines the Lamb as the Son of Man, principally the Son of David, is found in, pardon me, in the book of Isaiah chapter 11. Come to verse 1, please. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. In your mind, you should also be hearing the scripture that says, For I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He's the root stock from which David came. If you view David from an eternal perspective, Jesus didn't come out of the root of David, David came out of the root of the promise. But in the natural it's the reverse. He is the great King David's greatest son. He is the the one uh, who, concerning whom David said, the Lord said to my Lord. And that's the prophetic scripture that is used by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, one of two tests that would establish that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one out of the rootstock of David. And in fact, the book of Matthew introduces Jesus by the following genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he drops down 14 generations from Abraham to highlight David and then he goes back to show where the promise was given that was, that was incarnated in David in a physical way and then would, would, uh, would come forth uh, some 28 generations later and be fully vested in Christ. So this concept is well rooted in Scripture, there's no no wiggle room here. So this rod will come from the rootstock of David, from the stem of Jesse, the father of David, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord, and I promise you, he goes on and he, he, he expresses what the seven eyes are because he says, the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God and they're before the throne of God. But here he says, 
the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the Spirit of Lordship, number one. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding and of counsel and of power. You see, he's the Almighty. And the Spirit of knowledge and the Spirit known as the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits. Now, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Look, and he shall not judge by the sight of the eyes. That's why he has seven eyes. What are the seven eyes? He sees the way that God sees. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees in every direction. He sees the eternal, he sees the natural, he sees in time the past, the present and the future. He's not confused. He's accurately aligned exactly with the purposes of God as they're being unfolded in the earth. He sees when it is his time to come into the earth and he said, a body you've prepared for me according to what is written about me in the scrolls. So that was another scroll. This one now is, is the one that holds the future to be revealed, but there was a prior scroll that was opened, the like of which is actually shown on the earth in the synagogue that was at Capernaum when he opened the scroll and read the portion that was relevant to him in that day. But there was another scroll open in heaven before that, and at the point of the reading of the scroll, it had to do with a body that was necessary for him to come into creation to do the will of God. All right? So, he, 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 by the sight of his eyes he does not judge, nor by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he will judge, and he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Now what might that be? His word, of course. Once more, his voice shook the earth, but he has said, once again I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. To do what? To bring in another, greater, more complete iteration of his kingdom and so on and so forth. So let's go back to Revelation now, having looked at these passages. So in Revelation 5 where we were reading, uh, the lion, do not weep, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and is capable of receiving the scroll or taking the scroll actually and loosening its seven seals. And I looked and behold in the midst of the throne this lamb having seven eyes, we have unpacked that, and seven horns, the seven spirit which seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God. Um, one reading may be a lamb looking as it has been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which together are the seven spirits of God gone into the earth. And that would make more sense because we've looked at the seven eyes, he sees the eternal, 
in all of his dealings, and seven horns, you see the horn, the horn is the power of an animal, and if he's the lamb, ordinarily it can have two horns, but this lamb has seven horns because we're looking in the spirit, things are not linear, things are not as they would be seen on the earth, these are mysteries that are being revealed. And if we continue to insist on the carnal mind, none of this will make sense to us. What are the seven horns? Well, the horn of an animal has the ability to project its power. Any horned animal projects its power through its horns, as perhaps, say, through its hooves. You know, for example, a horse doesn't have uh, a horn, so how does it project its power? If it's in a fight, what does it do? It uses its hooves. You know. um, a giraffe, for example, doesn't have horns uh, as such, it has, but it has powerful hooves that are very effective against lions, uh, just an aside. So the seven horns, the number seven speaks of completeness and horn is power, so he has all power, all authority. This lamb who was slain was given all authority, all power in heaven and on earth by the Spirit of God who conveys the power of the Most High into creation and he came and he took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat upon the throne. Now, the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb and interestingly it says, each having harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. So a bowl of incense is symbolic of the prayers of the saints, it's not that the incense is somehow holy incense, it's what it symbolizes that is holy, it's ordinary just incense otherwise. Now, they sang, the twenty-four elders and the living creatures, they sang a new song to the one who takes the scroll, and in that song are the descriptors of the qualifications take the scroll of the one who takes it. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. Who is this describing? This is describing the Son of Man. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Wait a minute, that's the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures singing that and they claim that they are among the us who were redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So even though the twenty-four elders are shown around the throne, 
And even though the four living creatures are shown around the throne, when they address the Lamb, they include themselves among the people of the earth. So that is to see the earth from the viewpoint of heaven, is it not? You are slain and you redeemed us to God. Maybe because people don't believe. Let me go back and read it. Verse 8, he takes the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, so that's who fell down before the Lamb. Right? They had bowls of incense and golden harp and a golden harp, which are the prayers of the saints, and they, the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures, they sang a new song, and they were singing this new song to their newly revealed Lamb. And what did they say? You're worthy to take the scrolls and to open its seals, for you were slain, or who would that be? The Lamb of God, the one John pointed out, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God. Who are the us? The four living creatures and the twenty-four elders. You rede- Where were we when you redeemed us? Because redemption presupposes a price was paid for us. By your blood you redeemed us out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. They were humans, but seen in heaven, just like when the lamb is seen in heaven, when the lion is seen in heaven, he comes forth as a lamb with seven horns, complete authority, and seven eyes with the total omnipresence and omniscience of God. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, all authority in heaven and on earth, given to the lamb who was the lion. Again, If we insist that heaven meets the criteria of the earth, we are out of our league. We don't know what we're talking about. When you see the redeemed of the earth in heaven, they're described as four living creatures, which is the number of man, and they're further described as twenty-four elders, 12 times 2, because 12 is the number of government, 2 is the domain, are the domains of heaven and earth. So the kingdom of heaven has all authority, has the dominion over heaven and earth. So the representation of the government of God on the earth, when it's seen in heaven, it's seen in the, 20, in the number 24. But these are humans because they were redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And 
You made us to be a royal priesthood. Where did I get that from? Kings and priests to serve our God. And we, we shall reign. Shall means in the future. We are destined to reign on the earth. And he said, then I heard the voice of many angels sing, Worthy is the Lamb. So, well, that's verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power. Pay attention to this. Because, because wherever you see the Lamb, you see the vehicle for the inclusion of us in Christ. We are in the Lamb. That's why we follow the Lamb wherever He goes, that's why we sing. It was us in heaven, by the way, it wasn't the angels who were singing. Uh, It was the four living creatures and it was the 24 elders who were received out of all the tribes. It was they who were singing, you are worthy because you redeemed us. Angels were not redeemed. Angels either held their position as servants and attend the saints, or they're fallen and they're not subject to redemption. But those who were redeemed, the four and the twenty-four, came out of all the tribes of the earth. And now they say, I heard the voice. Now, now, when the, after that singing, then, because it's, it's the praise of those who have been redeemed, the first, the first stanza, if you like, is the praise of those who have been redeemed. After that, the angels are allowed to join in. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them were uncountable. They were singing with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive, here's what is to be received, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. If that is put upon the Lamb, and we are in the Lamb, this is our inheritance in Christ. The glory, the, uh, this, sometimes this is more than I could even speak. The power of it overwhelms me. When you see it, from the throne of God. And it says, And every creature <clears throat> which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that in them, I heard them say, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now this is the point at which the two converge. 
it's not the father sitting on the throne, it's the father's representative who's sitting on the throne and the two become one before our very eyes. Because in creation, they were appointed to represent the everlasting Father. Now the voice of the Father is heard in creation, but no eye has ever seen the Father, not even the disciples of Jesus, who when they said, show us the Father and it will be enough for us, Jesus' response was, do you not understand that it is the Father living in me who is doing his work? So the issue of incarnation is critical to the understanding of who God is, whereas the voice of the Father is heard in creation, he's always seen in creation representationally. So when Jesus said, I have overcome and I will sit down, this is from the book of Revelation, uh, the third chapter, let's go back and take a look at that now, close to the end of the chapter. He says, uh, Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my Father's throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Now let's take the first portion of that and let's look at where he says, uh, where he says, to him who overcomes I will grant to sit with me on my Father's throne. Now, when you see the picture in heaven, here's what you see. You see the one who is seated on the throne and you see the Lamb when He's first shown in the midst of the throne. And you have the picture of the eternal Christ, the one who was with the Father in the beginning, who wears the titles associated with the Father, He who was, is, and is to come, the Almighty. And now you see the Lamb who is is presented both in descriptive terms uh, as, as as the, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the root stock of Jesse, the Son of Man. And as you watch, His authority, the authority of the Son of Man to speak about the future in terms of taking the scroll and opening the scroll and revealing what is there, that is the authority given to the Son of Man. It's given to the Son of Man, which means what? That He will begin to reveal that authority just like He said in the introductory words of the book of Revelation chapter 1, 
the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him, which God gave him to show to his servants, we sent an angel to reveal it to his servant John. So what we're seeing is the representation of the Eternal Father sits upon the throne and holds that which, is, which belongs to the Father. And we see the Lord Jesus Christ who is a different manifestation of the same person sitting on the throne, comes in the form described as the Son of Man, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. But he's standing exactly where the representation of the Eternal Father stands. He's standing exactly there. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures identify with Him, honoring Him, praising Him, because they were redeemed out of all the nations by Him and made into a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood and a holy nation. You made us kings and priests. It's a definition of the order that administrates the kingdom of heaven, kings and priests, the royal order of Melchizedek. Speaking then of the kingdom of heaven. Now, to bring the pieces together, I want to move in a, in, a, in a direction that takes me to John 17. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he says, well, first let's go to, to a verse in John 16, verse 30. There Jesus says, but his disciples says, by this we believe that you came forth from God. Jesus had spoken earlier on, John 16, 28, two verses before, where he says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I came forth from the Father and I came into the world. Again, I leave the world to go to my Father. The word came forth is the word exercomi, E-X-E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. And it's from the root word ekomi, which means to issue forth as one escaping, one going abroad or spread abroad. The same word is used in John 16, 5, 10, and 17. And so he's returning to the Father in John 17, and we'll pick up there as we, as we move forward.